of us were going to go next door and have a, a really, really good meal and uh, be a very special service. I don't want you to miss that. But if you could help us with the meal, you're not going to have to make anything. In fact, our ladies are not going to uh, be doing anything. They won't have to cook or anything. We're having all that done outside. But I do need a number uh, to help us to prepare for that. And some of you have signed up uh, via Facebook, some of you with email. But if you don't have those venues to sign up with, there's a sheet uh, on the table when you come in. It's on my left, uh, on your right. It's where the T-shirts are for the VBS. If you could sign up your name and uh, all the people in your party, um, including yourself, and that will help us to be able to prepare adequately for that. And we will also keep you updated about uh, the days they will need uh, help packing. Uh, We have a strategy for that. I kind of thought of it that we're going to have like a a hole on the other side that Tim's going to think it's packing, but we're going to unpack and put it right back in the house. Um, and uh, But they will need some some help for that, and we want to be a blessing uh, to them. It's good to see Kippy today. I've been praying for you, Kip. I'm so glad you're, you're here and, and you feel better. Also, it's good to have uh, Jonathan Watson, uh, my friend. He's a pastor in Appomattox, Virginia. Um, I preach for Jonathan. Um, the Bible Baptist Church, if you're ever there in central Virginia, it's a wonderful church. And uh, he had a, a wedding north of Nashville where he served for years. That's actually where I met him at that church at Fort Bluff Camp, bringing the kids there. He was a, Didn't you work with the children first before you worked with the teenagers? Maybe not, but anyhow, I know you worked with the, the kids. But uh, anyhow, I'm so glad he's here. He came down to, to worship with us today, and uh, I love him very much. He's a good guy. Uh, he's into writing now, and uh, a really good writer, and just a encourager. He uh, graduated, uh, marched. Um, Last month, just a few weeks ago, with Kevin Garber, uh, and they both got their their doctor's degrees on the same day. Isn't that something? Go ahead and give him a hand. I think that's a special thing. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I read your thesis. I didn't tell you that. It was really good. Yeah, I went online and found it. It was really, really good. And I appreciate you, Jonathan. And uh, you're a good, good man, a man of God. I want you to take your Bible today and turn to John chapter 19. And we will look there in just a moment. We put the verses on the screen for you to help you track them, supporting verses. But I'd like for you to bring your Bible so you can mark things. Uh, this past week, my brother um, put a picture up on Facebook of myself that uh, my daughter April took uh, years ago. And uh, she said, uh, these are some of my dad's best friends. And uh, so Hoss, my brother, put that up there. And one of those was a pastor that I met over 30 years ago at a special meeting. 
and uh, it was a group of pastors. And I'll never forget that day. It was in Chattanooga. And uh, I laughed and I cried and my heart was smitten uh, with the things that he was saying. And if I could, uh, if you were with me, I could show you where I was sitting that day. And not only did it help me, but I purposed in my heart. I said, if I can, I'd never heard of the guy. But I said, if I can, I'm going to get that man to come preach at our church because he will help us. And uh, our folks would really, really like him. And so I wrote his name down and I began to pray about it. And, and those things aren't as easy as he's saying, well, I kind of asked him to preach. Well, within the providence of God, and about uh, two years later, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, north of Atlanta, Georgia, at another meeting. And I was walking down the hall, and I bumped into him. I saw him at another pastor's meeting. And I introduced myself, and I told him what I just told you. I said, I heard you in Chattanooga, and I, I wanted to have you to come preach to our folks. And he was, you know, there's some people that are better up here than they are in person. Man, he was better one-on-one than he was uh, in front of a crowd, just warm and and kind and gracious. And he gave me his card. He was pastoring in Panama City at the time. And so uh, we initiated uh, contact and Make a long story short, he came and did a couple's retreat for us. In fact, I think he ended up doing three of them through the years. And then he's preached here in our pulpit a number of times. And he was just a great, great blessing uh, to our, our, our church and to those that attended couple's retreats. People have told me before what a, what a help he was. But it wasn't just his content. It wasn't his content. It was his person. It was who he was, and as much a blessing as he was to to other people, he was to me a hundredfold. Um, uh, to me, he was like a big brother. Uh, in fact, this morning I, I went online and I I found his his obituary. You'll notice I'm talking in the in the past tense. Um, he died unexpectedly in January of 2015. And he's 12 years older than I am. He died at the age of, of 68 and became a very, very close friend and uh, like a big brother and became like, like a pastor to me. Uh, pastors need pastors. And I could uh, confide in him. I, I could talk to him. And Paula knows more than anybody how much that, that he helped me. And so we uh, made the trip and uh, went to his funeral there in Baton Rouge. And what an honor it was when uh, one of my children flew from Huntsville uh, to be there. and said, I'm going to his funeral. And then another one lives in Houston. They drove all the way from Houston to Baton Rouge uh, to be at his funeral. Uh, several of my kids, and you know we've had some wonderful, wonderful preachers here in our pulpit. But to hear my kids say, you know, Daddy, of all the preachers you have, he's my, 
he's my favorite preacher that you have. But here's what they meant by that. It wasn't here. It was the guy in the car that, that would talk to them and go out to eat with them and that got to know them. And I uh, had the, the joy and privilege of playing the piano at his funeral service. And uh, Brother Price Harris, we, we had a medley of songs that we did. And then I played for the family as they, they walked out. I, I didn't know that until I got there. But it was a tremendous, tremendous loss and, and still is in my life. Now, as I, as I talk right now, some of you are, are tracking with me because you understand to some degree. It may not have been a pastor, but you understand what I'm talking about because you've had a, a relationship like that. And I had no idea that when I met my, my friend, he was not a friend that day almost 30 years ago when I first met him, Richard White, that, that my life would be immeasurably better for having known him. But I want to talk to you today about something similar, but, but far, far, far superior, and that excels any human relationship, and that's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When a person comes to know Christ, and uh, what, a, what a great song that Brother Tim gave us this morning, because that's kind of the essence of what I want to talk to you about. That not only the longer you serve him, the sweeter he grows, but the longer you know him, the sweeter he becomes. That as a nine-year-old boy, when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, that that, that, that that was real. And he began to transform my life as a nine-year-old boy. And now for all of these years, for, for 55 years... He's still changing my life, even in recent weeks. I had uh, a meal with one of our, our men this week, and we were talking about some, some very tender things. And I was sharing with him about how that, how that God was, was changing my heart and some things. Uh, when I got saved, uh, I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. Sometimes I hear people, not, not very often, but I hear preachers say, well, that's not a good motive. Well, it may not be the best motive, but it is a motive. And that's, why do you think God talked about hell? Why do you think he described it in detail, the awfulness of it? And I got saved because I, I didn't want to go to hell. And he is my, my savior, but he's, he's my master. He's my king. But as John 15 says, he's also my friend and my father, my heavenly father. And until I breathe my last breath, my desire is and my hope is that I will continue to love him better and better and deeper and deeper and more and more. But it was at the cross. It was at the cross where that, that relationship began. But get this. And it's still at the cross where that relationship continues. It's still at the cross where God does a work in my life. And we're going to read the text here in a moment. We've read it a number of times. I'm going to finish this, this text out. We spent a lot of time here on purpose. 
But here's the big idea I want to leave with you today. I want to give it to you, and then we're going to kind of uh, uh, deduct some things from it. That the cross changes every part of your life. The cross, the Christ of the cross changes every part of your life. In John chapter 19, this is the third statement of Jesus from the cross. He said seven things, and they're, they're short statements. He didn't say a lot. But this is the most personal statement that he made. Notice in verse 16, John 19 and verse 16. Then delivered he, this is Pilate, Jesus, therefore unto them, the crowd, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross because this was the crime they committed. These criminals were on each side of them. They had a title too, and it, it listed their crimes. This was Jesus' crime. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. That was so everybody could read it. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. They didn't like that. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, plural, plural there, and made four parts, so there were four soldiers, to every soldier a part, and also his coat, singular. Pay attention to that. I may come back to that if I have time. Now, the coat, this was the, the undercoat that he wore, was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves... That is the soldiers. Let us not rent it or tear it. That is among the four of them because of its value. But cast lots for it. Whose it shall be. So they were going to gamble for it. And the scripture might be fulfilled. Which saith. They parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross. I'll talk to you about this. I, I just love that line. There stood, there stood by the cross of Jesus. And there were four people that were nearest, three, three Marys, three ladies named Mary and John, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw, pay attention to that, when Jesus therefore saw his mother, you know, sometimes we, we read the Bible and say, well, Jesus was on the cross. Jesus, Jesus saw his mother while he was hanging there. And the disciples standing by whom he loved six times in the Gospel of John. He uses that designation of himself, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, that is John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. 
Now I'm going to look at the emphasis, the lessons in these words of this this third statement. Woman, behold thy son to John, behold thy mother. Number one, Jesus was emphasizing the importance of caring for your family. And I'm not going to reiterate this. I preached a whole message on this. His mother was a widow. Apparently, Joseph had died. The last mention of Joseph, Jesus was 12 years old. And Jesus was assigning the care for his widowed mother to his trusted disciple, John. And the Bible says there, the last line in verse 27, that he took her unto his own home. And he treated her like his own mother. And what I want you to understand is, is here at the cross, we see, we see redemption. That's the purpose of the cross. And Jesus is suffering physically. And in just a few moments, he is going to suffer spiritually. And he is going to bear our sins as our substitute for our, our, our redemption. He's going to pay the price. But in this most holy place, don't miss this, in this most holy place, He's concerned for his family, specifically for his mother. And it elevates, listen, it elevates, it emphasizes the importance of the family, specifically of caring for your aged parents. I spent a whole message talking about that, about honoring your parents, not just obeying your parents, but about honoring your parents. You can Obey your parents and not honor them, but you cannot honor them and not obey them. Now, the second emphasis here, and this is where we want to land on these next two principles, is God willing, we can finish this, not just so we can finish the sermon, because we want to get through the truth. You know, it's not how many times you've been through the Bible, it's how many times the Bible's been through. You want to get this. The second emphasis that we get here in in these words in John nineteen twenty six and 27 is Jesus was emphasizing, don't miss this, and I phrase it this way on purpose, the absolute essentiality of relating to God through Christ alone. Now that's, that's a little cluttered, it's a little clunky because I don't like, you know, long sentences like that, but I had to put it that way. The absolute essentiality of relating to God through Christ alone. Now, I'm going to, to misquote, and I do this sometimes just for, to get your attention. I'm going to misquote John 19, 26. Look at it with me, please. John chapter 19 and verse 26. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother, he saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, mother... Behold thy son. Now I misquoted it. He said, he said to his mother, in fact, two times in that verse, the word mother is used. He saw his mother. He said unto his mother, but he didn't say the words mother. He said the word woman. Now, why did he use the word Woman, when he knew, in fact, that that was his mother. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus called his his mother woman. By the way, this is not a rude term. It's like saying 
ma'am. It was a term of courtesy. But it was very obvious that he was disconnecting with her as his mother. When, when Jesus first began his ministry at the wedding in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2, in verse 4, his mother had come to him and said, Hey, they're, they're out of wine. We, we need some help. And in John chapter 2 and verse 4, Jesus saith unto her, Woman. So three years earlier, he didn't say mother. He's in ministry mode. He's beginning his ministry. He says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? And here again, he says, Mine hour is not yet come. Now, if you'll notice in John chapter 19 and verse 27, the last line, and from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. The word hour is often used in Jesus' ministry to denote a milestone. Jesus called her her woman because he's, he's communicating a change of relationship. Now, you cannot deny the tenderness and the love and the affection as he's hanging there at the cross. And he sees these people are near the cross. Other people are there from a distance. There's other disciples. There's other women. The Bible lists some of their names. But standing near the cross are these four, three Marys and John. And he sees his mother. Some writers believe in John here when it says that the soldiers began to gamble for his garments. And they came to the coat, which was the tunic. That was, a, that was the, the undergarment. They don't think, this is kind of being personal, they don't think the kind of undergarment you wear was different. It was more like a coat. But that when, when a man left his, his home, that this was a gift that a, a mother made for him. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but there are a number of writers that, that, that study the Bible. That as Jesus looked down and he saw these soldiers gambling, which is what they did for things. The man was about to be executed, whoever the thief was. Jesus was not a thief, of course. And they came to that personal, that most personal thing that he owned that his mother made for him. And then he saw, it made him look. He knew his mother was there. And then he focused, laser-eyed on her. There was great affection. There was great affection for her. But he called her woman. Why was there the separation of the relationship? You get a hint of this, of this change of relationship when Jesus was 12. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46, when Joseph was taking the family. This is the last mention of his stepfather, Joseph. And he died sometime after this. The Bible doesn't tell us. They were going down to celebrate the Passover. It came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple. They'd been looking for him. They couldn't find him. Sitting in the midst of the doctors. Now, this is not like a, a doctor like John, where you go get your temperature and surgery and things. This, these are theological doctors. These are doctors that studied the law. Both hearing them 
and asking them questions. This morning, as I was praying over my notes, I, I stopped there and I said, Lord, help me to be like that. I want you to notice what the Son of God did. He taught people, but you notice what he did. He heard them. He heard people. And he asked them questions. You know, one of the keys to good counseling is asking good questions, but you can't ask good questions if you don't listen to people. You have to hear people. Remember when Cain, Cain killed Abel, his brother. Remember what God said? I know what you did. He didn't do that. He said, where's your brother? Where's your brother? When Adam and Eve sinned, he said, where are you? And I could go on and on. Now, here's, here's the issue. He knew the answer to those questions. Someone said an accusation hardens the will, but a question stirs the conscience. But you must, you must hear people. And you cannot hear people if you're not quiet. Did you know that the words listen and the words silent have the same letters in them? You cannot listen if you're not silent, not just with your tongue, but in your mind. Jesus heard them and he asked them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And he did respond. But he, he was able to touch the nerves and give wisdom. And when his parents saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, now pay attention to this. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? She said, Good mama, you know. You, you've driven us up the wall. We've been worried about you. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, how would you like to be Jesus' parents or Jesus' brothers and sisters, you know? He never, he never disobeyed. He never did. He was always right, you know. Thy father and I, I have this underlined, thy father. She's talking about Joseph. Joseph was the stepfather. Have sought thee sorrowing. And Jesus said, he heard that. Remember? Silent and listen. He heard that. Mary said, your father and I have sought thee. And Jesus said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist or know ye not that I must be about my capital F, my father's business? And Jesus communicates it. And he, he just, by the way, he asked a question. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. He's creating this separation because he's not just a son of man. He's a son of God. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Now, I have this underline. Watch this. And his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. There's three times uh, in the Gospels when it's said of Mary along this line in Luke 2.51, Luke 2, another place. I, I believe it's one of the reasons that God chose Mary to be his mother was because of that very thing. And she was a contemplator because you, you cannot love people if you do not think about them. And then you act upon it. But if you're not thinking, you can't love. 
Now, love always acts, but you don't, you don't know to act if you're, not, if you're not. By the way, we talk about someone being considerate. The root word of that is consider. One of the one another commands in the, in the New Testament is to consider one another in the local church. We wouldn't have a lot of problems if we would consider one another. And then you practice consideration. But you can't be considerate if you don't consider, if you're not thoughtful. The root of kindness, the root of affection, the root of love is, is thoughtfulness. It's not the purpose of this message, but Mary, Mary was such a godly lady. I believe it's one of the reasons God chose her. But she, she didn't get all this, but she began to ponder it. She began to consider these things. Mary was a, was a godly woman. She was a, she was a special person. But, but get this, stay with me. Many religions, or especially one specific religion, has elevated Mary to be equal, to be equal with Christ and worships Mary as being equal with Christ. And I believe, I believe that God, who's obviously prescient and omniscient, he, he knew this. And that's one of the reasons he was so clear that Christ, who's God the Son, said woman. Not just once, but more than that. He wanted this very clear. That while we are to, to honor Mary, that we are to respect her, we are not to worship her. Now, when the angel came into Mary in Luke one twenty eight to tell her that she was going to give birth to the Christ child, Luke one twenty eight, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, you're graced of God. It doesn't mean that she was better than anybody else. By the way, she, she walked with God. I'm not demeaning of her. And the Lord is with thee. Now, watch this. Blessed art thou among women. Not above women. Among women. You have a special blessing. But it's not above women. And then her response to this, she... she she wrote a song. It was a, a poetic song. And in Luke chapter 1 in verses 46 and 47, this is part of that song. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, in God my Savior. In other words, Mary had to be saved just like I had to be saved. Her son was going to be her savior. And she knew that. She knew she needed to be redeemed. She had proclivities towards sin. Now, I'm not going to do a deep dive on this because some of you know this. But I'm just going to do very surface in about 60 seconds with this. But some of you don't know these things. There are those that teach that as Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born without sin, that Mary was also conceived and born without sin. And as Jesus Christ is the object of our prayers, that we, we, we are to pray to Mary. And um, you know, they'll have the, the beads and they'll, 
they'll pray to Mary. And that not that Mary has favor with Christ. And that not only is Jesus the mediator, oh, we believe Jesus is a mediator, but Mary is a mediator also. And this is why, this is why, and that's why I stated so clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one, he is the only mediator between us and God. There is no other, not the church, not the baptistry, not communion, Nothing else, not the church, nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, one, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now get this, she's, she's there at the foot of the cross and she's watching the ransom price be paid. Mary knew all of this. She, she had no problems with this. She understood her place as a sinner. But the enemy is, is religious and he takes religion and has people place their confidence in religion. Salvation is when God reaches down to man by his grace. Religion is when man reaches up to God and offers their works. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, Listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm a way for the lost, the truth for the deceived, and I'm the life for the dead. No man, no person, no woman, no man cometh under the Father, but by me, exclusively. And you know, listen, listen carefully. The one message that the world hates about true Christianity is what I just said. They cannot stand the ex- exclusivity of it. Here's what they do: they will call you a bigot. They say that that's bigotry. No, that's Bible. This is the Word of God. This is just, this is biblical. This is why if there could have been another way, Jesus would not have had to die. So when Mary came to the cross, she came in a very unusual way. She came as the mother of Jesus, but she did not come as a co-redeemer. She came as a sinner there that had already been saved. That's the second emphasis, the second lesson. Now, the, um, the, third, the third lesson, the third emphasis is here, is that Jesus was emphasizing the fact that he cares in every trial that you experience, that he cares for you. He cares. He's in suffering. Crucifixion is... is I mean, you can imagine the nails and the crown of thorns and the beating that he took of scourging. And just the way you die, you're, you're, you're having to lift up to breathe and then to come down. Every, everything about it is excruciating. But when he said, Father, forgive them, his concern is for everyone. He's concerned for the world. And the second one is he looks to the thief when he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And he says, you will be with me. And now he's concerned for the individual. And now he's concerned for his, for his family. The first three statements on the cross, he's just concerned about others. And while Jesus is, is paying the price for our sin, in John nineteen twenty six, he saw his mother. He was considerate. Paula and I were talking just in the last two or three days, and we talk about this more. But as suffering makes you selfish, and it does. I appreciated Paul Tripp's book on suffering. It really was very helpful to me in my own trial. And he talked in that book about how that suffering is spiritual warfare because you get in, in, a, in a survival mindset. But, but Jesus saw his mother. He saw others. And he saw his mother who was suffering. And she had needs. And he says, woman, you behold your son. He's going to take care of you. And he saw John. He said, John, you, you behold your mother. This was, not, this was not a formal thing. This was not read from a script. This was a heartbroken son to a mother who had raised him and given her life for him to teach him and to care for him. And nobody, listen, no matter where you are today, at the cross, at the cross there's a Savior who not only loves you, but listen, not only because he, he died for you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We talk about the love of God for our salvation. But God loves you in your trial. He loved people in their trial, even from the cross. There's a verse I want you to memorize. It's in John chapter I'm sorry, in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I can cast all of my cares on him, not in a mechanical way, because he cares. The word cares in that verse, casting all your care, means a concern or a burden that produces a distraction. You have any distractions this morning? Is your spirit weighted down, your heart weighted down, and, and just constantly carry it with you, this burden, casting all your care? That's what the word means there. What, what is your care this morning? The Bible says in the Gospels that sometimes we, we miss the word of God because of the cares of this world. But sometimes there, there are cares that we have, this, this care that weights us down. Paul talked in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. Uh, it's the same Greek word. He says, the, 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 this problem which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. What does he mean by that? The care of all the churches. These are people that I love, that I've won to Christ, that, that I care about deeply. But they come upon me daily. It's not the administration it's these false teachers that are coming in. It's, it's the problems that they're having, and they are ever upon my heart. They're ever upon my heart. What, what, what are the issues that you have? You've got to get to the cross with it. But I, I have an advantage here because there's another care here, casting all your care upon him, for he careth. 
This is bigger than my cares. It's his care. And his care, here's what that word means. It means to be of, of, to have a great interest and concern for a person. It means personal attention and provision. It means I have a great concern for you, but this is the living God. This is almighty God. And he cares for you. He cares about you, not just so you can get your soul into heaven and save me when I'm nine and then then I'm on on autopilot. He cares for me. Even when I can't see it and I can't feel it, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Careth, present tense. He cares for me now. God cares for my sister that's suffering. But he cares for me with my fears that I have in her suffering. He cares for both of us with different kind of cares. I can't bring all of my cares to God because he cares for me. And here's what you do, the word casting. Casting all your cares, it means to throw, it means to relinquish a responsibility of caring. Carrying, C-A-R-R-Y-I-N-G, of carrying a backpack or a heavy load. You know, some of you, you come down to the altar and you say, God, I'm, I'm tired of this. And you get back and you carry, the, you carry it back with you. Casting on, no, you cast it off. But you don't just throw it anywhere, casting all your cares. The Bible says upon him. You do it at the cross. You do it at the cross. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, when the week before Jesus died, that they were getting an animal for him to ride in Jerusalem, and they cast their garments upon the colt. It's the same word, cast. They threw those garments on. It's what you do with your your cares. You cast them on Him. Someone said, worry is assuming God's responsibility. Just cast them on Him. Casting all your care upon Him. Because He cares for me. And so I'm, I'm going to take take this load, this brokenness, this heaviness, this fear, this anxiety. The psalmist said in Psalm fifty five twenty two, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Not on the church, not your friend, not that friends can't help, not upon the counselor. And he shall sustain thee. The word cast again, to throw, to throw down, to hurl upon the Lord. The word sustain means to keep, to maintain, to bear up. God will do this. He will sustain. He will keep me. He will make provision. This is what the word means. He will nourish me. It means to care in the midst of adversity. Not just to care because he loves me, but it means he will provide for me. He will take care of me. He will give me a fresh provision of mercy and grace. 
every single day of my life to get through this trial. The song says, is there a heart or bound by sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden bearing. All your anxiety, leave it there. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. And I really like this song. Boy, it's so simple, but boy, it's good. This is maybe, I got this from my dad. I just like simple things. If the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord. Leave it there. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and he can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. When your youthful days are gone, in old age is stealing on, and your body bends beneath the weight of care, he will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. This morning, what do you need to cast to the Lord today? What are you fretting about? What keeps you up at night? What are you anxious about? What are you trying to figure out? What is disturbing your your inner spirit? It's always there just eating away. Someone said that, that burnout does not come by outward pressure, but by inward tension. And it's just, just always, it's just always there. Bring it to the Lord. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you that this is what. Listen, he, listen, he initiated this at the cross. Mary was just standing there. John was standing there with a broken heart. He was the initiator. He said, I'm going to help you with your problem." He can bear it. The purpose of the cross was not just to redeem you from the penalty of your sins, but from the power of your sins. And part of that is anxiety. There's a prerequisite to your having the peace of God. It is a gift. Every person here that's a believer, and if you're lost, you can have the peace of God, but you have to have peace with God first. But if you're a Christian, you can have the peace of God, but there's a prerequisite. And here it is. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's a prerequisite. You've got to stop trying to figure stuff out. And some of you have a personality that makes that tough. 
The peace of God passes all understanding. The more you try to figure it out, the worse it gets. Well, what's the doctor going to say? Well, what if this doesn't work out? What if, I don't know. I've tried all of these things. Stop it. Stop it. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And the peace of God passes all understanding. The word understanding there means your intellect, your comprehension. It talks about your mind. You don't, you don't get peace up here because something else is going to come up. God's not against planning. But it passes understanding. The word pass there, this is interesting. It means, it means to excel, to be superior. It means this. It means that faith is better than your sight. The peace of God passes all understanding. It will keep your heart. Because that's where the battle is in your heart and mind. The word keep, it will protect your heart and mind. You can rest. Not because you have the answers. You don't. I, I tell people a lot, I, I don't need to know the answer as long as I know the one that knows the answer. Bring all of your anxieties to Jesus. Bring them to the cross. When I was a youth pastor in Virginia, we had a, a young man, when I first met him, he was in the seventh grade and we were going to camp and his mother came to me and she said, should I let him go? He wants to go. He was mentally challenged. I don't know what his IQ was, but he was, he was slow edu- and educationally. And I said, let me think about it. And it's not because I didn't want him to go, but I knew it would take a little bit extra time. I thought about it. I went back. I said, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take care of him. I'll look after him. And that, that guy became just one of my favorite kids I've ever had in youth ministry. We went to that little college there in Virginia. I think it was in 1982. And uh, on Tuesday morning, the, the camp pastor preached a message from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 on worry. Now, if you've been involved in youth ministry, when you go to camp... They don't preach on worry. Teenagers don't need messages on worry. Now, theologically, they do. They kind of need a kick in the pants. They need messages on rebelling against their parents and respecting authority and daily time alone with the Lord. And the uh, camp pastor was a good friend of mine. It was a great message. But I can remember sitting there thinking, well, this is a great sermon. I, I, I guess I know God told him to do it. And I'm sure it's helping some people. But I got a bunch of kids here that uh, where he's preaching on worry. I wasn't getting it. And my buddy that came with us who was a little bit slow, every single service back home, he went forward to pray. Every single service. If I had time, I'd kneel down with him. I'd say, what are you praying about? I'm praying for my daddy to be saved. He had a horrific background. 
praying for my daddy to be saved. People mocked him. You know, he was awkward the way he walked and things. Sometimes he would just go forward to pray. And I thought, well, I'm going to help him. So I'd say, now listen, when we come forward, I want you to pray about something specific. I never told him not to come. So I want you to pray about something specific. So that morning, guess who was in that camp morning? Guess who was the first one down the aisle for the message on worry? It was my special buddy. I came up there and I knelt down by him. I let him pray for a couple of minutes. I put my arm around him. I said, hey, man, can I, can I pray with you about something? And he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. He said, brother, I'm just praying about all my worries. Man, you could have stuck a knife in my heart. I said, I'm going to pray about my worries too. I pulled him in close and I prayed about his daddy and I prayed about some other things, rejection and things that he'd been going through. And I went back to my seat chastened. I never forgot that. We moved here in 1985 and a year later in 1986, I'd just become the pastor and I got a call that he'd been killed riding on his bicycle to McDonald's going to work. And they called me and they said, would you come back to Virginia and, and speak at the funeral for him? We had a gym full of hundreds and hundreds. There must have been 500 teenagers there from his, from his high school. You pray about your worries today. He bids you to come. Jesus initiated it. He looked at the cross and he saw his mom. And today, he, even though he's ascended into heaven, but the Christ of the cross looks down and he cares for you. And he says, you cast all your cares on me because I care for you. I want you to bow your heads with me, if you would, today. I wonder if there's someone here today that's never trusted Christ as your Savior. You walked in here lost. You're away from God. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. He wants to save you. He wants to take you to heaven. He wants to give you a new life. 